0: Hey, friends, welcome back to the old fashioned on purpose podcast. So, today I'm doing a solo episode because I have something super exciting to share with you. This is actually an episode I have dreamed about recording for a very long time. It's been a long time coming. I actually had intended to share this with you. It was scheduled for back in February, and through a chain of events, we pushed it out till today. So, lucky you, you are here and we're doing this. So, what am I talking about? I am talking about the book cover. The book has a cover. It has a face. It is no longer faceless. And I get to show it to you today. So um, I'm trying to decide, when do I show this to you? Do I show it to you now? Do I make you wait? I think I'll show it to you now because that would be rude to like make you sit through this whole episode and show you at the end. I'm not going to do that to you because we're friends. (laughs) Um, And also, I guess it's a little weird for me to use the term show you the cover because that only applies if you're watching this on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, you can see this. If you are not, you'll have to use your imagination and then go over to the link I'll share at the end of the episode and you can see the actual picture. But are you ready for this? Drumroll, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the cover of the book that has consumed the last almost two years of my life. It is here in living color. So I know it's a little glary, sorry. And it's also backwards. I mean, it's not the most ideal way to show you the cover, but... We're doing the best we can, and you'll just have to go to the website and see it um, in its more high-resolution form. So, funny story well, I don't know funny, but it's a story. This has been a, a rough process, a, a long process, if you will, to get to this final version. So I had flown out to Toronto. Some of you may have seen my Instagram stories for that, back in mm, January, end of January, I think, and I went out to work with my publishers' art team we shot uh, a bunch of photos at a really cool old barn. It was a super cold day, but um, we wanted it to look kind of summery. So I would like take off my coat, stand there and try not to shiver on camera and then put out the coat back on. It was like a whole thing. It was super fun. And so uh, we got a ton of photos, came back. And as the art team started to put the photos together, just wasn't flowing like we were hoping. And so we went through many iterations. I will spare you the gory details, but what was supposed to come in February, we've had to wait. All good things take time, right? So it is now May and I have this cover and I'm really excited to finally be able to share it with the world. So I thought today for this podcast, it would be fun to give you a little bit of behind the scenes of what went into this book. You've heard me reference it probably quite a bit over the last year-ish or so because it has consumed most of my waking hours of life, <laughs> getting this book to the point it is now. Um, but I kind of wanted to share with you some of the motivations and some of the magic behind it because this was a really, really special project. And it taught me a lot about creativity. It taught me a lot about listening to my intuition and my gut and sticking up for that um, it taught me a lot about writing. So I thought I'd share some of my takeaways with you because I know a lot of you are creatives as well. And Maybe you're not writing, but you are um, creating on your homesteads or you're creating other types of art. So I think this is a topic we really can't talk about enough because there's just something special about the creative process. And you guys here on the podcast, I kind of consider you my inner circle. Um, there's something just intimate about a podcast, even though I know a lot of people listen I think we're up to like f- almost 50,000 downloads a week right now, which is just nuts. Um, but even so, it just feels like you and me here in the studio. So you're you're kind of the ones I like to give the inside scoop to. And that's what I want to do today. So the story of the book, I can finally tell you more. So I've created a lot of things. You guys know that. Um, and I'm proud of all of them, right? They all have their place. They've all been a part of my journey. There have been ebooks and courses and my cookbook, of course, and more tangible things like the bread I've made, and the gardens I've created, and um, the the buildings we've renovated. They've all been fun, and I've enjoyed each one of them. But there was something about this book that was special right from the beginning. And it doesn't always work like this. Like I've had really good projects come from more run-of-the-mill ideas or I've had really good projects come from ideas that I had to really hammer out like I got a little piece of them and then I had to work really hard at kind of fleshing the rest so it's not that every single time you should expect the idea to drop from heaven and hit you on the head because I think that's an unfair expectation but that's kind of what happened to me with this book concept at least and I'll never forget it so um it was a An evening back in 2019, and I had gotten out of the shower, and I find, I'm sure you guys have probably experienced this as well, there's something about the shower that generates good ideas, right? And I I don't think there's anything magic about it. I think it's just that it's the one place where we are not assaulted by advertisements and social media and TV and radio and just noise from everyone around us. It's just the one place we're alone with our thoughts, And I'm sure some smart person at some point will try to encroach on that territory, but I hope it doesn't happen anytime soon because I think it's really important for us to have that blank space in our life. And if the shower is the only place you can get it, then, you know, that's great. But anyway, so I got out of the shower, I went, got into bed and I reached for my journal. I don't journal every night. I wish I did. I think it's a great habit. I just don't. But anyway, that night I had something to write down. I still have the journal, in fact. And I was writing that. And then all of a sudden... I got this, I don't even know how to describe it. It just like hit me (laughs) and I got like tingly and I got the lightning bolt and I got like the hair standing up on back of my head and what hit me was this name. The name was Old Fashioned on Purpose and I'd never heard anyone use it before. Um, I didn't take it from another creator on the internet. Like this was something I'd never even heard put together and I instantly knew that it was something special. It was something different. Like I could just had that sense. And so I wrote it down in my notebook and I was like, what, what could this be? And the first thing that came to me was, it's a book. This is a book. This is your next book. Um, and I'm like, okay. And, and just like the, the chapters, the topics just started to flow. And if you've ever experienced the creative flow, um, People have talked about it for thousands of years. Artists and writers have talked about it. The muse, the flow, the feeling, the magic. It doesn't always come. And there's plenty of times when you're creating where you just slog it out and you bust through it and you just like make it happen. But every once in a while, you get that flow state and there is nothing like it on earth. Like I would bust through brick walls to experience that flow state. And that's what happened that night. And I started to write out the chapters. What, what would be in this book? Um, these, these concepts... And I just, I mean, I had all the adrenaline. I didn't go to sleep anytime soon because I was so excited. But even the next morning, I was just glowing <laughs> from from that idea. So there I was kind of like, now what? So I'd had some conversations with my literary agent at the time um, about what my next book would be. He had said, you know, Jill, when uh, for, when an author has their first book, book published, when it's kind of still hot off the press, that's a really good time to start Thinking about your next book, or and sometimes you can kind of write off that success and, and pitch it to publishers. And so we had talked about concepts, but there wasn't anything up till then that felt like I wanted to write about. Like it just wasn't coming to me, and until then, so I shot him an email. I think a couple days later, and gave him some of my ideas about the premise of Old Fashioned on Purpose, and I explained what it was. And I gave, I kind of outlined some of my chapters and he was intrigued. He thought, Hey, this is cool. Um, we didn't take immediate action in terms of fleshing it out further, but we just agreed to kind of let it simmer. And in the process, I named my podcast with that name because I was so excited for that concept. I didn't want to wait till, um, a book because I knew it would take a long time. So I'm like, well, this is so good. I I don't want to Sit on it forever. So I launched my podcast in 2019. I guess my dates are a little fuzzy. So I launched my podcast in 2019, summer. So I must have got this idea. I think it was early 2019. I don't remember what I said earlier. Anyway, my dates are a little messed up, but it was that year. I know that. Um, and so you know, doing my thing, loving it. I'd started to use it online a little bit. Everyone, whenever I talk about it on social media, people like lose their minds. They loved it. I made the manifesto, blah, blah, blah. Right. So Moving forward, still ruminating on this book. And then, of course, what happens? 2020 happens. COVID happens. And no one's thinking about books during the pandemic. Just the publishing industry itself almost completely shut down. No one was going to the office. Um, it was it was just mass chaos. So books were not on anyone's uh, top of mind. Definitely weren't mine. So as we progressed through that, I, I'm trying to remember exactly when I think it was potentially 2021, uh, my agent reached back out and was like, what if we start to flesh this book idea out again? And he had been seeing this rise of interest around homesteading related to the pandemic, which, I mean, you guys know it was unreal, the amount of interest around bread and gardens and chickens. And the world was more receptive to that than ever before. And he was like, this idea, I think it's time. And I agreed. I'm like, the idea wasn't ready to be born. (laughs) In 2019, but it's ready to be born now. I could feel, I could feel it. So we worked on our proposal. If you've ever, I don't know if you maybe you haven't, but just think, I think people are always curious. At least I'm always curious how the publishing process works. And so how it goes is that you usually work with an agent, or sometimes you do it on your own. But you make a proposal, and a proposal is not just a couple pages. It's like 40 to 50 pages because they want to make sure that you know what you're talking about. Like you actually have something to write about. So there's usually sample chapters and you really flesh everything out. So he built this proposal and then we started getting ready to pitch it. And I was pretty nervous at that point because my, my agents had said, you know, they're like, it's kind of rare. It's not unheard of, but it's a little bit rare for someone who's like a cookbook author to just jump categories. Because this book, I knew it wasn't going to be a cookbook and it wasn't going to be a how-to book. It was going to be this big picture idea book. And they're like, it's a little, it's a little different. You can do it. But you know, just keep that in mind as you're talking to publishers. They might be wondering why you're switching categories when you had a successful cookbook. Um, and so I was thinking about it and I was really just kind of wondering how this idea would go over because it doesn't, well, fashion on purpose doesn't really fit into this perfect category on, on the bookshelves, right? It has some practical pieces, but it also has some big idea pieces. It has a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of history. It kind of covers a lot of ground as people like you and I do, right? We're jack of all trades, homesteaders by nature. We dabble in a lot of things and the book kind of reflected that. And so as we went into these meetings, I pitched it to 10 different publishers and I got to talk to some really amazing uh, publishing houses, some really great people the interest was off the charts and it was so exciting to see their response to the idea. Because at that point, and this probably makes me sound a little woo woo. I don't, I don't really care because maybe I am a little woo woo. I, I kind of felt like this idea was mine, but it wasn't my own, right? I kind of felt like it had been given me, given to me to steward and it was my job to let the idea come through me, but, and, and just make sure it got to the world in the form it needed to get to. And so, to see people respond to it in such a favorable way was really exciting. And so long story short, we had a ton of offers. Um, we, we, we got to pick the the publisher that, w- that I wanted to go with. I ended up going with park row, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. And that's kind of how it works. You have the big publishers, like the big three or four in, in the United States. And then they have little imprints or like kind of divisions. And so, uh, my publisher's a division of HarperCollins. So that was really exciting. And we celebrated, we signed the contracts. So it was, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, this is the best thing ever. And then, as it does, reality kind of hit me in the face. And I'm like, oh, guess what? Now you get to write the book, Jill. You get to actually do the work. So I went into book writing mode, I think, November 2021. We I, I had officially signed... I fleshed out with my editor what the book would look like. I told, you know, we kind of looked at my my chapters and off we went. So it was six months of intensity. <laughs> I didn't do much else. People ha- were asking me like, why aren't you posting on social media? Like, where'd you go? And I'm like, I'm literally living in a hole writing this book. And that's all I did. And I'm pretty sure the people around me <laughs> got real tired of me talking about it. I mean, I guess I really wasn't even talking about it as much as like, I'd walk into a room with bags under my eyes and messy hair. And I, they'd say, how you doing, Jill? And I'd be like mumbling incoherently and grab some food and go back out to the office. And so <laughs> um, it was a lot of work. Writing a book is a really big deal, especially this type of book, because there was a lot of research to it. You know, my cookbook was more recipe testing, and this one involved a ton of Getting into scientific journals and looking at history. And I ended up, this book took me places in the writing that I never expected to go in, in the very best of ways. Like it, it transformed so much of my thought processes. And I think that's what I love about projects, whether it's building a homestead or it's renovating a house or it's putting in a garden or writing a book. I look at projects for less about what the result is at the end and more about who I get to become in the process. And this book seriously transformed me. So we, let's see, I submitted the first draft in after six months, my editor came back, there were some things she didn't like, so we reworked it. That's really normal. The first draft is nowhere near the end. There's many, many revisions, which is really one of the things I like about publishing the traditional way and I've written a lot of digital content and ebooks are great. But there's something about having so many eyeballs look at your work and help refine your work that it not only makes it better, but it lends legitimacy to what you're doing. So I mean, you kind of can have a love-hate relationship with that sometimes because I don't always see eye to eye with everybody, right? And there were pieces of um, the suggestions that I felt like, were non-negotiable for me. You know, there was a lot of the suggestions. I was like, cool, we can do this. We can shift and we can change. But then I I, I just couldn't budge on the framework of the book. And believe it or not, I stuck with the framework that I had written in my journal that night in 2019. Um, and it's not that I was so stuck on that, that it was the only way, but I just felt like time and time again, when I would look at my book and I'd say, what does it want to be? What does it need to be? And it was that over and over again. So did all our edits and here we are. We're we're at May 2023. The book will be hitting shelves September 26th of this year and we're down to the home stretch. So, so that's that's the book's origin story in a nutshell. Long process, right? So long. You don't realize that until you start going through it and you realize that the, all those books that you see on your local bookstore shelves or Barnes and Noble like a long bit of time to get them from the author's brain to you, but that's, it can be, it's a good thing, right? So I want to tell you a little bit about what the book is about, because like I said, this is really special to me. I feel like it's really different. Um, I didn't want the book, this might come as a shock, but I didn't want it to be a homesteading book. I actually purposely said I do not want the, the term homestead in the title or in the tagline. Uh, because it's really important to me that this go to a broader audience, and you guys know I love the homestead community. you're my people, right? But <clears throat> these ideas, I believe, are here at this time in our history and our culture for a reason, and I believe they need to break out of homesteader circles and I think sometimes, especially as homesteading becomes trendier, um the rest of the world just sees what we're doing and they just categorize and pigeonhole, which is just human nature, right? We all do it. Oh, well, that thing, that practice is just for the homestead crowd. And I'm like, no, no, no. This practice is for the human crowd. Everybody needs this. And that really was one of the driving premises of the whole writing process for me. You know, as I'm looking at the benefits that homesteading has brought into my own life. And as you know, as I've talked about in the past, It's not just about the bread and the tomatoes and the eggs, right? To me, that's a side effect. But what I'm really chasing homesteading, and I've learned this as I've matured into it over the years, um, it's for those less obvious benefits. It's for how it keeps me connected to nature. It's for how it keeps me grounded. It's for how it... Uh, inspires me to build community. It's for how it helps me parent my children. Like I love the fruits of my labor, but uh, in terms of like what I can eat and touch. But the most important pieces are beyond that. And I started to see how important it was to me and just keeping me sane and keeping me um, centered. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a way to bring these concepts to a broader audience because our culture. And the chaos it currently is in can't afford to not have these. We can't afford to have these ideas only available to those who have tapped into the world of homesteading. I mean, that's great if you have, but not everyone can always find that path as easily as maybe you or I have. And so I'm like, how can we distill down the best of homesteading uh and take it to a broader perspective? And so that's in essence, the book. And I asked a lot of questions in the book and to myself as I wrote it. Um, w- one of the big ones was, what are we leaving behind in our race towards progress? Uh, another one that came up a lot for me was, who were we before industrialization told us otherwise? And I, I poke at, well, I, I get into a lot of history in the book. I, I read a lot of history because I think it's really important whether you're a new homesteader, if you want to call it that, or you're interested in old-fashioned things and you're trying to figure out why, I think it's so crucial that we understand the history of how we got where we are today, why we became so enamored with convenience and ease and why those became our goals at all costs. We'll sacrifice everything possible to get those things. Why did we get like that? How did we, how did we get to this point? Because if we can answer that, then we can start to figure out how to get back. And you know me, I'm... I don't know if you can hear that. My dog is snoring. Can you hear that? It's pathetic. I'm so sorry. (laughs) He's over there just having a great little nap. Anyway, it's very distracting to me. Maybe you can't hear it, but I sure can. (laughs) Hey, friends, I'm just interrupting this episode for a second to give a shout out to our other sponsor, the Modern Homesteading Conference. So this is really exciting because up until now, all the big homestead conferences and events mostly happened on the East Coast. And that meant if you live out West, then you're either driving a long ways, you're flying a long ways. And that just makes things a lot more complicated when you have animals and gardens and all the things as we do. However, that is changing this year. So the Modern Homesteading Conference is a brand new event. It's going to be held in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It's live and it's two full days filled with your favorite homesteading experts like Joel Salatin, Homesteading Family, Melissa K. Norris, Annabelle All Trades, Farmstead Meatsmith, and many, many more. I was looking at their website and it's a great lineup of speakers. So not only are you going to get all that valuable knowledge and the skill sets that are going to help you be more self-sufficient no matter where you live, but you also get the bonus opportunity to enjoy a concert by Grammy award-winning farmer and filmmaker Rory Feek. You know, I love Rory. He's been on my podcast. He visits our homestead every year. He's a dear friend. So that's a big treat. All the homestead knowledge by day and a concert with Rory at night. So classes will include raising a family milk cow, on site live butchering and curing demos. Like, that's pretty darn cool. Homestead income classes, four season gardening, cheese making, homeschooling, sustainable agriculture, and tons more. So don't miss out. Tickets are on sale now. Head on over to their website to see all that is included in the event and to save your ticket. The website is modernhomesteading.com. And now back to our episode. But you know me, I don't like the hard extremes, and I feel like that's kind of, it's its what we humans are drawn to. We like camps. We've talked about this before, right? We like extremes. We like black and white. It's just easier that way. But I feel like the answers are very rarely uh, on the extremes, and they're almost always to be found in the middle. And so it was important to me as we started to look at the history of how we got to where we are today. We got into a lot of the industrial revolution, which was fascinating to research. Um, Not all bad, right? It's easy to throw rocks at that period of history, but it's kind of hypocritical, especially like me. I'm sitting here on a fancy chair with a fancy mic and a fancy camera Speaking to people all all over the world (laughs) with technology, and you know it's kind of silly for me to start saying how bad the Industrial Revolution was, but I think it's just understanding the nuance behind it, and maybe what it gave us, but also what it took from us, and then working to do what we can in our modern lives to bring that back into balance. So I wanted to be really careful to just not paint things with a broad brush, and and really figure out how we can take the best of the old and weave it in with the new. So those eight pillars, that eight-piece framework that I wrote in my journal all those years ago became the eight main chapters of the book. And I I you know was thinking as I refined it and and we worked through this writing process when I look at the pieces of my life that have been the most impactful to me that have brought me the most joy and simplicity and grounding in my old-fashioned journey, um, it was really those eight pillars. And those are, just to give you a sneak peek, um, growing food. And that can look like a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So we we talk about that in the book. It's not just you have this garden that looks just like mine and you do this one thing. There's a lot of ways we can start to embrace that concept. Um, that was number one. Number two, cooking, right? Again, this is going to look different for a lot of people. So in the book, we explore why did we get away from home cooking? Why did that become something that we despise? And then we're told is drudgery. We're told is beneath us. How did we get there? How can we get back? Number three, we talk about working with our hands, the importance of weaving in those tangible things into our life. We we live in this world of the clouds and technology and now AI is coming and we are in our heads so much. How can we bring ourselves back to our bodies? And that one of the best ways to do that is with our hands, whether that's changing the oil in your car or making a, a loaf of bread or vacuuming your yard. I found some fast, not vacuuming your yard. Oh my god, it's vacuuming your house. Oh. Uh, I found some fascinating research around what that does for our brains, and that was the coolest part of this book. Like I, I've known a lot of these things. Like you, you know this. You feel better when you garden, right? But do you know why? Like, it's not that you have to know why, but once you start to understand the science behind what's in the soil and what it does to your body, I don't know. I fell in love with it all over again. And there is so much data and research out there supporting these old-fashioned ideas. It was a blast to go and find that and bring it into this book. So, number three was working with your hands. Number four, we talk about escaping the human zoo. And that's what I'm calling just this modern atmosphere that we live in with all of our artificial light and our artificial surfaces and our asphalt, you know, we're surrounded by things made with human hands so much. And if you live in a big city or you work in an office building, like that's all you're surrounded by for the majority of your day. And I'm not saying that you should necessarily move to the mountains and live in a log cabin and run around barefoot. I mean, that might be a good fit for some of you. The rest of you, that's not possible. So how can we know that we live in these human-made environments, but then still purposely and intentionally weave nature back in. So we talk about that. Number five, we debated on this. This was the one tenant from my journal entry that wasn't originally there that we added in, but we have a chapter on unplugging because I feel like, you know, obviously... Balancing cell phone usage was not something Little House on the Prairie, Laura Ingalls Wilder did. But that's something as modern folks who are desiring a more old-fashioned life, that's something that we get to deal with and we get to sort out. And that's a unique problem for our modern time. And so I wanted to give you some strategies and some ideas and some reasons why it's worth it, even though it's hard. So we have a chapter on unplugging. Number six number six pillar is treading the earth lightly. I feel like one of the most n- amazing transformations that I've undergone in my old-fashioned journey is starting to realize how everything's connected. And I wanted to bring in this idea of how do we steward the soil? How do we steward nature? I didn't care about this when I first started homesteading, I'll be perfectly honest. I just didn't. I was more worried about what I was going to get from my garden and what I was going to get from my soil, and what I was going to get from my food. But bringing it full circle has changed how I think about things, and it's changed some of the practices that I use on my homestead. And so I wanted to give you kind of a, a shortcut to that thought process. So it's it's about environmental stewardship, but not in the way you've heard about in the past. We're not talking about biking to work and recycling. We're going to take it a little bit deeper than that. So that was a really, really fun chapter. Um, number seven, we talk about parenting the old fashioned way, I know not everyone's a parent, but there's a lot of stuff in that chapter. You want research and data. I was buried in the in the research on that chapter for weeks. so much fascinating research around uh, what happens when we hover what happens when we we're, i mean we want our kids to be safe, but what happens when we go too far um I found some fascinating research about letting kids do dangerous things, what happens when we um, give them a little freedom, and it creates these confidence, competence loops, like so much good stuff. So that chapter was a blast. And then finally, the the last pillar of an old-fashioned on-purpose life is cultivating community. And you guys know, based on recent episodes, that's really important to me. So I get into, again, how we got away from that. You know, community is such a human urge, but it's something we have to fight for in our modern world. So how did that happen? And how can we start to repair that fragmentation? So those are the eight pillars. Um, And I don't know, it's just special, guys. I know everyone thinks that their books are their babies, and I know that's kind of a cliche, but this one um, means a lot to me. And and at this point, you know, I think it's going to be received well. I'm excited to give it to the world. I'm excited for y'all to see it. But this might sound weird for me to say, even at this point... (laughs) If not a soul reads it, it was worth it. It was worth the year plus of blood, sweat, and tears writing and creating it because it changed me so much in the process. And I, I can confidently say that my life will have the before, old-fashioned on purpose, and the after. Um, it it just transformed me in a way I never thought possible. So I'm really excited for you to get it in your hands um like I said it's coming out september twenty sixth and I need your help. <laughs> Be really blunt. I need your help because i have I do have a mission for this book. Um, I would love to see it make a splash outside of the homestead community. Let me explain why, so I know you guys will buy it. I know homesteaders will will get it and love it, and that's fantastic. You guys are my people. we get each other, right, but I feel like the message in the book is needed by people beyond just our little niche. I feel like so many people who maybe aren't going to Homestead conferences and they're not listening to this podcast, they they don't know it exists, and they're not going to go get a book of Homestead recipes on their own because they're just not aware it's out there. These principles are so important for people who are living in big cities, who are living in suburban neighborhoods, people who've never had a chicken, who've never considered baking their own bread. Like, this is not just a homesteading book. This is a book on how to stay human in a world that's increasingly unhuman, inhuman, right? Uh, too tech heavy, too convenience obsessed, really focusing on all the wrong things. And so I would love to see this book get into many, as many hands as possible of people in the homesteading community, but also beyond the homesteading community. So here's why I'm asking for your help. The most important piece of the process, not the most important piece, but a really big part of the process of launching a book for authors are pre-orders. So maybe you didn't know this. I actually didn't know this before I started writing books. Um, most people wait to buy the book till after it comes out. But pre-orders are key because they tell retailers and media outlets and all of those people who help push books out. It tells them that there's interest in the book and it's worth paying attention to. So they're more prone to kind of put it at the forefront if they see pre-orders come in. So if you are so willing and you would be able to help me out by pre-ordering, I have put together a pretty sweet package of bonuses for you. So if you go to oldfashionedbook.com, that's the book webpage. It's all one phrase. There's no hyphens or anything. You can not only see the cover, um, but you can also see the list of bonuses. We... Created a brand new sourdough ebook just for pre orderers. It's not available anywhere else. Um, There is some printable wall art. Again, I only created it for pre order folks. It's the old fashioned, on purpose manifesto and kind of old fashioned vibe that you can print out at home and put in a frame. Um, There's my home dairy ebook, which is, I think, at least 120 pages of recipes and ideas for your milk, whether you're milking a cow yourself or you're getting raw milk or you're using store milk lot of ideas on what to do with that. A mini canning course, there's a ticket to a virtual meet and greet where um, in October or November, we're going to do a call just for folks who pre-ordered. It'll be on Zoom or something similar, a similar platform. And we'll talk about the book and talk about anything you guys want to talk about, do Q&As, the whole nine yards, again, only for people who pre-order. And then there's a giveaway. You'll be automatically entered in for a bunch of homestead tools and goodies. So by pre-ordering, you get all of that for free. You just order the book from your favorite retailer. I would say if you can get it from your indie bookstore, that's my best recommendation because they need you more than Amazon does, right? So check your indie bookstore first. They can usually order it for you um, or go to bookshop.org. They're online, but they support indie bookstores. Uh, and then after that, if you can't find it um, locally, then you know Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, the whole nine yards... It'll be in all the major retailers, but if you pre-order it from them, you're going to get it the week it launches automatically or sometimes a few days before, and then just screenshot your proof of purchase or your receipt, and then go to oldfashionedbook.com and upload it. And you can get all the bonuses automatically. Um, once we check your proof of purchase, they'll come in your inbox, uh, right away. You don't have to wait till September to get those. But if you're so inclined, that just does a lot to help the book get out into the world. Um, I'm I'm excited for you to get it into your hands. So I'm hoping to, in fact, not hoping to, I will be sharing more about the book in the coming months as summer progresses. We have some fun things in the works. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too early, but stay tuned for that. Um, As long as I get a green light from the publisher, I will be hopefully able to share a chapter Uh, here on the podcast, read it to you guys, maybe like the introduction or something. There will be an audio version. So if you do Audible or something similar, I will be reading the book um, and recording that, I think later this summer. So that's gonna be a marathon. They said it takes like six days to record a book. So I fully expect a whopping sore throat (laughs) by the end of that, Um, but it'll be kind of fun. I'm glad I get to read it myself because I think I just love reading or I love listening to books where the author is reading it. So that's the scoop. Um, Thanks for humoring me and listening to this episode. Uh, I hope it was interesting just to hear the process. And yeah, I just love talking about creativity and all that it entails. So that's all I got for you today, friends. Oldfashionedbook.com. Check out the new cover and all the goodies. And we'll catch up next time. Thanks for being here.